Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's almost time to head back to Westeros. It's episode 432 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham and House of the Dragon premiering on HBO Max. This Sunday, so, so excited, and actually I wanted to do something a little bit different. I decided to talk to Greta Johnson and Jason Concepcion. They are the hosts of the Game of Thrones official House of the Dragon podcast, which you can get wherever you get your podcast to get their insight on what's going to be coming up for this new Game of Thrones series, and it was so, so fun to get to talk to them about that. You'll hear that in just a couple of minutes. Also, going to be talking to the cast and the creator of Disney Channel's Hamster and Gretel. Maybe you've been watching the new superhero series on Disney Channel. No, well, now you'll hear from the cast like Greta herself and so many others about the show and some of the fun behind the scenes stuff that you might not have noticed. And some of the stuff. And this was actually recorded at Comic Con, too, by the way. So this was before the show premiered. So no spoilers if you haven't watched it yet. Maybe this will give you a reason to watch the show. There's a little bit of a shakeup on Superman and Lois. Of course, I'll talk about that. The new Wednesday trailer for the Adams family series coming to Netflix and so much more, but let's get rolling. Let's talk about house of the dragon with Jason Concepcion and Greta Johnson. We'll talk to them next on the down and nerdy podcast. Hello, this is Tom Ellis from Lucifer on Fox and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast. The wait is almost over house of the dragon premieres. This Sunday on HBO Max, and the anticipation has been building and building ever since the end of Game of Thrones, and I'm so happy to be joined by the host of the new Game of Thrones House of the Dragon podcast to just get you ready for the show and everything that you can expect. It's Greta Johnson and Jason Concepcion. How are you guys doing? Hey, good. How are you? Great. Very good. Thank you. Now, we heard in the first episode of the podcast, which is already out, that you both kind of came to the Game of Thrones fandom in different ways. So do you think that actually kind of helped you in preparing for this and ultimately doing this podcast together? Yeah, totally. I mean, I love what Jason said about how he read all the books, so I didn't have to. And I read a lot of them, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. But but yeah, and I think the fact that both of us, you know, also had like super conversational, but also like extremely nerdy recap podcasts of the original series definitely like prepared us to be able to like have a good time and do this hopefully in a fun and entertaining way. Oh, for sure. And I think it's important too that we come at it from different angles because we're trying to make this 
the podcast that everybody can listen to, regardless of how much knowledge they come to it or lack of knowledge they come to it with, so it can feel like a, a welcoming and informative and enter entertaining place to learn about this show. Absolutely. Now we know that this is set 200 years prior to the events of Game of Thrones. You, you all kind of confirmed on the first episode of the podcast that you don't have to watch Game of Thrones to watch House of the Dragon. So do you feel like that adds to the excitement of House of the Dragon or, or even hardcore fans going to be looking for Easter eggs no matter what you tell? I mean, what I can say is that there are Easter eggs, which is really fun. So I think like mm -hmm. the super fans are going to be really thrilled. I think for me... As a Thrones fan who admittedly was pretty disappointed in the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, I'm really excited that we kind of have an opportunity mm -hmm. to start from scratch, you know? And I'm super curious. I mean, part of what I find so fascinating about Game of Thrones in general, in addition to the story itself, is like the phenomenon of the franchise, you know? And like, not everyone grew up loving dragons the way Jason and I maybe did. So the idea of like this being a thing that everyone can just get super excited about whether or not they saw the original series, I think is super cool. To kind of underline what Greta said, there's stuff in here. The less said about it, the better. But there is stuff for sure. As a book reader, there's stuff that I was definitely like, wow, that's new. Okay. And what's really cool about it as well is George is really involved, at least from what we can see. Like, he is right there, picked this time period, picked Ryan Condal, has been very active in helping shape this show. So all those kind of cool drops that happen, you can feel confident that they come directly from the main person himself which is super cool yeah it's a, a it's an elaborate brain that guy has for sure <laughs> yeah oh there's a lot going on in that brain there's no <laughs> doubt about that absolutely hmm. now going into this you know throughout the run of game of thrones fans would always talk about book versus show so fire and blood not your traditional novel we know that that was talked about at the panel do you think that kind of opens the door for more of these wow moments throughout the show because we're going in with a few more unknowns with House of the Dragon? Well, from the book reader perspective, I think that certainly the the history book version of the story that we're going to see has a lot of action so, and a lot of uh, wild double tracks and betrayals. So I would imagine all that wow stuff is going to be there. I think what's interesting for me is seeing how what version of the tr quote unquote truth they decide to go with as a, as a kind of faux history narrative of this time, Fire and Blood, the book version of this story, kind of picks between several unreliable narrators who, uh, you know, the person who is kind of collating these stories isn't sure who exactly is right at any given moment or any given scene. So when we watch this, we're essentially watching the storytellers decide which unreliable narrator is actually correct or maybe neither of them are correct in in any given scene so that part of it is is really interesting and cool and i can't wait to see which side they fall on well and i think james what you were mentioning about you know the panel that jason did at comic-con was you know it was really i thought it was fascinating to hear ryan condal our one of our showrunners talk about how much room he had to play given that the fact that the source material didn't necessarily have elaborate dialogue of every single scene that we're about to see in this show like i think it 
I don't know, I guess I hope that it's sort of like the ideal adaptation in terms of like having plenty of foundation to work with, but still getting to bring his own like creative show running yeah. expertise to the project as well. Definitely hoping for the ideal adaptation. So I know that Jason, you went to Comic-Con as we said you were the host of the panel. Sure. And, you know, of course they had the House of the Dragon, Dragon's Den experience there. So I was wondering, did you get a chance to do that at all. I was actually able to do that earlier on at, at Comic-Con while I was there. And do you feel like that actually helps prepare fans for what they're going to see? I got to, I went outside of it. So COVID, as we all know, it's back. It's back and ineffective. Indeed, it never went anywhere. And due to the fact that I had to interview George and multiple members of the cast and crew, I just didn't do anything before I did that. I did go out in front of the event there and just kind of like observed people going in and out. But at the end of the day, it felt like a little too much of a risk. I didn't want to be the person implicated if and when George got COVID, you know. So I was just in my basically in my hotel room till after the panel. And then after the panel is when I did everything around there. But it looked as if people were having a great time. <laughs> so, James, did you do it? Was it fun? You had a good time? I did. I actually got to do the press preview on Wednesday. Yeah. And it was really cool. You really felt like you were kind of immersed in it. At least I thought I was anyway. They go through the whole birthing of the dragon egg that process. Awesome. That sounds cool. And then, of yes. course, you get to ascend to the Iron nice. Throne at the end. So that's... How did yeah. it feel? Oh. How did it feel? Oh, it felt good. <laughs> Always clutch. Yeah, it, was, it felt really good. It was definitely a boss moment. You know, I didn't want to be that guy, but in that moment, I was. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't help myself. There was definitely a little bit of a strut. Oh, yeah. You don't realize that you have a strut until <laughs> you start doing... <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah, I feel like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity type thing. So I, I was going to go all out. Oh, yeah. No, I think you just got to lean in at that point, you know. <laughs> oh, and I leaned in heavy. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. I want to go back to the diehards versus the newcomers for a second, because I, I feel like that's kind of where your job is tough. How mm. did you all kind of balance giving the necessary knowledge to those who might not be familiar with the huh. th Thrones lore and bringing something new and interesting to those who, much like you, are very versed in the world? Jason, yeah. I mean, I feel like so far, so we haven't recapped a whole lot of actual episodes yet. We're a little bit ahead, but only by a couple of eps. But I think so far we've done a pretty, I mean, the show is doing a pretty great job of like explication where necessary without being super heavy handed with it, which I'm very excited about. But I think also, you know, it's easy enough to spend a couple minutes being like, Jason, what's something that you as a book reader may have picked up on that I that just like may have completely gone over my head or that I missed because I'm not familiar with that specific source material. And then, of course, we can kind of fill in the gaps around like, you know, for Thrones watchers, they're probably really excited to hear the name Baratheon or whatever, you know? Yeah, I think that's exactly the case. You know, for me personally, a part of the way I approach any of my Game of Thrones coverage or any of the other coverage into any other stories that I talk about is at a place where I try to make it as ungatekeepy as possible. I think, you know, when I first started reading Thrones stuff, I would post on, uh, you know, one of the forums just about things. And I remember getting absolutely roasted because I got like a small detail mm -hmm. wrong. And I just like, and that's a thing that I get it. I, I Listen, I understand the culture of forums and that's what it's like. At the same time, like I don't, that's not the way I want to shape my coverage or our coverage. I want to make it so that if you have a question, no matter how dumb it is, you feel comfortable asking it. Again, which is why it's great that we're coming at this from different angles, because there's, you know, there's going to be certain things that I think are kind of obvious. 
there's going to be certain things that Greta's like, well, that was mystifying. Why'd they do that? And it's a great way to kind of level set and understand how people with a wide range of experiences are coming to this story. I love the phrase ungatekeepy because it reminds me a lot of what I've been trying to do with my podcast, Nerdette, which is, you know, the whole idea of like, Yes, like nerdery typically is that whole, there's like the hierarchy of like, what do you know and how well do you know it? As opposed to like, how much do you love this thing and how much are you willing to share that enthusiasm? And I think for both of us, that's really like the ethos that we're coming Absolutely. at this from. No gatekeeping is on my show either. I could tell you that for sure. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. I don't understand why people do that. I, I just never really wanted to be that guy either. We're talking to the host of the Game of Thrones, official Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon podcast, Greta Johnson and Jason Concepcion. Fellow dragon lovers, because you talked about that at the beginning. I don't know how you could not love dragons. I don't think I've grown up knowing anybody that doesn't <laughs> love dragons, and I don't know <laughs> that I want to. But we're going to get a lot of dragons. <laughs> In this show, you know, they're going to have different personalities as well. So what are your expectations for that? And maybe seeing some very different types of dragons this time around than we saw in the original Thrones. Well, what I will say is I was really excited even just getting invited onto this project because it was like, oh, the dragon budget is going to be really good for this. I bet. Yeah. Like this is going to be fun to watch. We haven't seen a whole lot of like getting to know the dragons yet. So I feel like Jason can probably speak a little bit better to that. As the book nerd. I mean, I just know we know we're going to get a lot of them. 17 is the confirmed number. You know, I I don't think this is a spoiler in any way to say that the bond between dragon and rider is very intimate and personal. And and often the the place where the dragon's personality and the rider's personality begins and ends can be hard to to unwrap at times. And so you're going to see creatures that are extensions of their riders that's what i expect and i think that's gonna be i just can't wait to see that dragon on dragon combat i wish they all would be fine afterwards but we know that that can't be the case i just want the dragons to thrive i think they're wonderful as an animal lover (laughs) oh i'm right there with you because anytime i'm watching anything and i say if if something happens to that dog yeah that's how i feel the worst greta and i are both animal lovers we want to just see them thrive Mm. that's all yeah, they need to That's thrive. It. Yeah, it's good for oh, everybody, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. They need to thrive. <laughs> but then again, you know, this is Game of Thrones, and you know, thriving isn't exactly a huge thing. You know that, you know. Yeah, that's that's part of the deal. Yeah, you unfortunately, know. well, you you I kind of go into it knowing that it still makes me sad, though. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about this before too. That this is just an incredible cast that will be a part of this show, and many of whom will be on your podcast as well. Was there any? Particular cast member or cast member slash character pairing that wow. you really thought and saw, wow, I can't wait to see this person bring this character to life in the show. I mean, I've already gone over this on the show, mm. but I'm a big Matt Smith fan, <laughs> so that was a really fun casting to see. I think for me, a lot of the other cast members were people who I weren't wasn't super familiar with, which I think is something that the original Game of Thrones series did really well, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, these characters are all going to be iconic, right? It's a matter of time. So, you know, what I can say is that in the first couple episodes that we've seen, the acting has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think something that I find really fascinating that we've talked about a little bit in the show is Patty Considine as King Viserys, yeah. who it sounds like he really has brought a lot to the role that wasn't necessarily in the text. And I think that's super interesting. And I think he's doing a very like he's walking a really fine line in, in terms of what his character is up to. And it's all very surprisingly relatable, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, the Patty and Matt, they're kind of 
interaction, the relationship between their respective characters, King Viserys and Prince Daemon, is such a huge generator of story and emotion. And I think they've really brought something interesting and to, to Greta's point, like really relatable to something that can be highfalutin and high fantasy with big dragons. You really f- understand why they do the things they do and how they feel about each other. And I think that's just like, you know, part of the secret sauce of making this a magical show. I, I would also say like the relationship between Alicent Hightower and Rhaenyra is is going to be huge. Been really impressed with the with the work of Emily Carey and Millie Alcock, our young Alicent and young Rhaenyra. That's like a huge another relationship that is a big deal to the story. I, everybody's just kind of nailed it. I, I think that again, the thing that to contrast it to Thrones. That was a sprawling, multi-family story. This is one family and all the relationships kind of like orbiting around the nucleus of this one family. And it can feel a lot more personal in that sense. And just in what we've seen thus far, it's been, you know, obviously we're biased. It's been really good. (laughs) It's been really good. It has been really good. I think also... What's interesting about this one is that because it is largely around this one family, at least so far, everybody's pretty much in the same place, which makes for a lot of just really good narrative drama that I think could be a real struggle with the original Throne series when, you know, especially there was a long time where everyone was just super far flung and... You know, that could be really tricky in, or in terms of, like, moving the story forward, you know? And Greta's, Greta's point about Patty, I think, is is a great one. And it you can extend that to uh, basically our whole cast, you know, in, in the books, yeah. in the book version of this story, which spans, like, a couple of novellas and then Fire and Blood, the history book. The characters, you know, it's, it's plot. It's this happened, this happened, and then this happened, and this person did this, and then this happened. To see them come alive and what these actors bring to it is... It has been really, really mesmerizing. And King Viserys in in particular is kind of a, you know, I think comes off as maybe a little weak in in the books. And there's just so much more depth to him in just what we've seen. So I think people are going to be really, really pleasantly surprised by the way these characters are, are come to life. And we'll get to see that for ourselves this Sunday on HBO Max. That is when House of the Dragon premieres. And then don't forget, after every episode, the Game of Thrones official House of the Dragon podcast is available wherever you get your podcast recaps and interviews of each episode as they happen every Sunday with these two. I can't wait to hear their thoughts. Jason Concepcion, Greta Johnson, thank you so much for joining me to talk about House of the Dragon this week. I appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, thank you, James. I thought this was a really cool opportunity to kind of do a deep dive with the people doing the deep dive on the show every week because, you know, it's always great getting insights from cast members and members of the of, of the crew and directors and things like that. But also, you know, with people that cover the show like I do and, you know, just even and they're fans, too. Like, I'm a fan. You're a fan. They're fans, too. And just getting that perspective sometimes is really, really neat. So I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to Greta Johnson and Jason Concepcion. And yeah, their podcast is a really, really good one, whether you're a diehard fan or you're new to the world of Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon. This is one, this this is a comfort show for you. You don't have to feel like you're going to be lost or anything like that or talk down to. This show is definitely a good one. So make sure you're getting the official Game of Thrones House of the Dragon podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thanks to Greta Johnson and Jason Concepcion for joining me to talk about some House of the Dragon this week. Up next... 
Time to switch gears and talk about She-Hulk. The show has premiered. I'm going to be talking about it. We'll throw in some spoilers as well, right here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Kirsty Bryan from Tales of the Walking Dead, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week we make our case for a brand new Marvel Studios series on Disney+. She-Hulk Attorney at Law has premiered. Yes, the episode just came out this past Thursday. I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler-ish review of it. Not going to, like, spoil the whole thing, but I'm going to throw some tidbits in here and there. And I'm also going to throw some tidbits in from the global press conference that I attended before the premiere of She-Hulk as well. So I've seen the first four episodes. only going to go over the first one here, though, for you because, you know, it's not fair. It's, It's weeks away. I don't want to spoil anything for you, obviously. But one of the things that I really took from the global press conference actually came from Jessica Gao, who is the head writer and executive producer of the series. And she kind of said immediately from day one, you know, make this feel like a really, a real human being. That's what she said. Tatiana Maslany did who plays Jen Walters and Tatiana Maslany is brilliant and pretty much everything she does anyway. And she really brings that to this character. And, and it kind of does it does, but it doesn't feel like Jen Walters and She-Hulk are two different characters in the show. It, it that they, you'll see that more as the show progresses, more than more so than in this first episode. But it's really they don't spend a whole lot of time on her learning how to be She-Hulk throughout the series. What you see, you see that very much so in the first episode. They kind of I don't want to say get that out of the way. But they certainly do justice to it, I think, in short in a short amount of time and don't really spend a whole lot of time just dwelling on it for no particular reason whatsoever. So I kind of like that they did that. But Jennifer Walters just seems like, you know, kind of normal life sort of thing, trying to be the best lawyer she can be. And then, you know, an accident happens with her cousin Bruce and all of a sudden she's She-Hulk. So that's it's not that simple, but that's that's kind of the gist of it. But I will say one of my favorite things about this first episode was that relationship between Jen and Bruce. And I got to tell you, Tatiana Maslany and Mark Ruffalo working together, there were some brilliant scenes in that. I'll call it the Hulk retreat or Hulk boot camp, whatever you want to call it, when when he was kind of trying to teach her how to be Hulk. And that's not a huge spoiler because that's in the trailer anyway. But the way that they kind of played off of each other, it was so brilliant to watch those two. Especially there's there's a fight scene between the two of them. I will tell you that much. And it's very entertaining for for some I don't want to say ridiculous reasons, but it's just like the the way that 
It, it's how it's how people that are related would fight. Basically, is 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 what it is. And that's just thing. The thing. She's not just a lawyer. She's not just a. I don't know. I guess you could kind of say superhero. That's when you see the show, you'll understand why I say that. That's not a a term that you can just throw out there for this particular character at the moment. Anyway, it's it's that she still has real life shit going on for lack of a better way of putting it. And that's very much out there. And what I also love is that she has a very supportive best friend at the same time in Nikki Ramos, who's played by Ginger Gonzaga. And you're going to love, you're going to love Nikki. I think you will. And actually Ginger said during the press conference, she said, you know, Nikki's somebody got to hang out with and she sees a lot of herself in Nikki as well. And that's why it just, it, that's why it seems so natural. I think for her is because, you know, this is part of who she is anyway. And sometimes those are the easiest characters to play. And you see the support that not just Nikki has for Jen, but the other way around as well. You see this, this show definitely has a women supporting women vibe to it. As a matter of fact, there was a whole part of this press conference, which was really interesting where director Kat Corey Rowe and of course, Jessica Gao and Tatiana and Ginger were kind of talking about how women will support each other very much, especially like the women's bathroom. They were talking this whole thing about how, you know, the women's bathroom is like this safe space and how women will rally around each other. If they see another woman is in trouble, like they're getting harassed by a guy or something, then this army of women will come out of the women's bathroom. It was a hilarious conversation, but it was also based in a women will support each other at the end of at the end of the day sort of thing and you get that vibe from this show because things don't exactly go well for Jen in her life in the early going and it's a very tough transition for her I mean it's a bit tough transition for anybody all of a sudden you're a hulk come on you'd think oh that'd be cool but then you don't really think about the stuff that comes after that but I like how the transition for Jen was different than it was for Bruce they kind of separated those things. And there's a little bit of a competition angle that goes on between the two of them in the first episode as well. So what this show really sets out to do is is very much say that Jen Walters is her own character, but still tied to the Hulk that everybody knows. And that can be a frustrating thing in this as well. To to she she's certainly someone that wants to stand on her own and seems like at every turn she's not being allowed to and there's a frustration there, but what she continues to try to do is separate herself. And I think that that's one of the cool things about her character. And one of the cool things about what Tatiana, Tatiana Maslany brings to the role anyway. And the fourth wall breaking, that's something that you're going to find out about this show right away as well. And I know you may be thinking, oh, copying Deadpool. Well, guess what? They say that She-Hulk did it first. And now I haven't traced back my comic knowledge about this, so I can't confirm or deny that. But they were joking about how Deadpool copied She-Hulk, not the other way around. Shots fired, maybe? I don't know. Does that prompt a Deadpool cameo at some point? I'm not going to confirm or deny that. So, you know, you just got to kind of keep watching and see. But it's funny because Tatiana actually talked about in the the press conference how it's kind of the, the fact that she's aware of the audience. It's kind of like an extension of her superpowers, which she called it. You know, I she like she knows she's talking to the camera and that people are watching this and there's something about that hyper awareness that kind of adds more to it and brings something else to the table. And I kind of think that it really does 
in this particular instance. It's it's more than just a, co- a comedic relief type of thing. And it almost catches you off guard at times, too, which I thought was really, really interesting, especially as she's navigating her way into this world. And I, I love the fact that they, they kind of joke about how, hey, this is a lawyer show. Get ready. This is a lawyer show. And it's funny because I don't feel like this show really fits into a specific category. It's not really a sitcom. It's not really your traditional superhero series. It, th- there's a mix of a lot of different elements going on here. And I think that that's one of the things that I enjoyed about it. I know some people didn't dig it. I did because it felt different. And I said that b- about Marvel series before. But this one really feels like it's it's not it's not trying hard not to be a superhero show. It's not trying hard to be a superhero show. It feels like it's trying hard to be its own thing. And to me, that originality is what kind of separates this from other series that we've seen. And this is this isn't just true of Marvel. It's true of other things as well. Trying to be your own thing nowadays in any genre is really tough to do. And this show is really trying to do that, I think, and with a wonderful cast of characters to boot. And I've seen, you know, some criticism of the Nikki character saying, you know, you're kind of throwing away a great actress. All she does is, you know, the whole you go girl thing. And and I don't think it's that at all. I think it's that if you could take it and look at the perspective of, okay, if Jen doesn't have Nikki, she obviously she has Bruce to kind of bounce things off of as far as being She-Hulk, but in her day-to-day life, not just as She-Hulk, but as Jen Walters, if Nikki's not there, things, kind of, I think, go very differently for Jen. But knowing she has someone that's going to support her no matter what is a really, really important thing. There's layers to this. It's not just her figuring out if and when she wants to be a hero or how to be a hero. It's how do you navigate everyday life doing this thing and what kind of complications would that bring to your life should this just be thrown at you at the at the most either inconvenient time or just out of the blue? And how would you deal with it? This show deals with that as well. So there's a lot more to She-Hulk than you think it is. I think it's charming. I think it's entertaining. I think that there's so many good reasons to watch this show. And if you know, don't listen to the review bombers that review bomb this before even watching it because they're because they're 12 and they don't know any better and and they're just being ridiculous. Don't go by that. Judge this show for yourself, because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you think of She-Hulk. I certainly was. And it turns out it's one of my favorite Marvel Marvel Studios series to date, I think, on Disney Plus. I I don't I'm not going to rank it just yet. Maybe I'll do a ranking at some point of my favorite Marvel Studios Disney Plus shows. That day is not going to be today, but just watch She-Hulk. I don't think you'll be upset that you did it every Thursday on Disney Plus. Of course, got a new episode dropping here very soon as well. The first episode sets the stage very nicely, and then you slowly but surely get to see where things are going and some of the very fun complications that are ahead and some decisions that Jen's going to have to make as well. Yeah, She-Hulk, very, very good, I think, anyway. Judge it for yourself and tell me what you think. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of She-Hulk, the season premiere on Disney+. Plus. Up next, we're going to head back to the Comic-Con press rooms. I want to talk about the new Disney Channel series, Hamster and Gretel. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? We'll talk about it next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who better to save the world than a little girl and her hamster? That's right, Hamster and Gretel, the new superhero series, is now on Disney Channel. And I got a chance to talk to the stars and the creator of the show at San Diego Comic-Con this year in a roundtable session. And actually going to start things off with Dan Povenmire, who, of course, is the creator of the series, and his daughter, who is the voice of Gretel, Melissa Povenmire. So was it a slam dunk? Did Melissa think she was going to get the role? What happened when she did get the role? Here's what she had to say. I knew it was going to happen, honestly. Did you? Because you, 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 you did not tell me a single time that, like, oh, you might not get it. He was I like, did. I think I you're going to you. get it because I feel like you're one of the best. And he just tested really well. Yeah. Like, I was always pretty confident in my skills. <laughs> I sound so full of myself. <laughs> but, like... I've I've done temp lines before, I've done auditions, but this was like the first time where it was just like a transition from doing the temp straight into doing the actual voice. And it was so exciting when I was, like, it it didn't really hit me until like a few months into into recording that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually this person, I actually have this job. But it was super exciting. Since Dan is the creator of the show, it seemed only natural. Somebody asked him, you know, how did you come up with the idea, and here's what he had to say. Like everything, it's sort of from a from a drawing I did of a, you know of a super hamster, and then like like I love this this guy, but I don't know what to do with it. And then I sort of started basing it on my relationship with my my youngest sister. There's three of us. There was me and my sister, and then ten years and another sister. And by then, you know, by the time I was like 16, I had this little six-year-old sister who I became her chauffeur and was taking her around and, st- and stuff. And I was like, what can I do? Like, like, what if we make that part of the dynamic? And then it became, okay, what what if the little sister gets superpowers too? And the answer, from the older brother's point of view, he was supposed to get the superpowers because they were given to, to them by like an alien who comes and says, says, we will bestow upon you powers unimaginable, and then shoots them with this beam. But she happened to have her pet hamster in the car, and the, the powers go on to her and her pet, pet hamster. And what would that do to their dynamic? You know, the, the, the older brother's always very protective of the little sister, and now she can lift a bus over her head. What, you know, like, what kind of protection does she need? So so it became, that sort of became the, the basis for the for the whole show, is that sort of, you know, dynamics like, oh, your little sister can now kick your butts, you know, and everybody else's. What like where do you find your place in that you know and the, and her pet that, that's what, that was sort of the jumping off point for with any superhero origin story comes super mistakes so I wanted to ask Dan and Melissa about that and if that's something that we would see in the show so anytime you're talking about a superhero origin story you always see the hero trying to find their powers learn them making some mistakes along the way how much yes. data we're going to see that on the stage is a well we do because 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 Gretel is all id. She's all impulse and doesn't think things through, and that's the thing that... Oh, like, that, the in the first episode where he's like, you have to go through these pipes, like, very specifically, three pipes, yes. and then let them, like, I think I'm just going to punch it. Yes, and, and, and she just wants to do the, the easiest, fastest thing that a kid would want to do, and he's trying to get her to be responsible. You think, 
but she doesn't end up really learning much because when she does things her way, it always eventually works out. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, so that's a little bit of a frustration for him as he's trying to tell her the, the, the responsible way to do things, and then she does them the wrong way, and, and usually it works out. You know, like sometimes she he's has like to come in and, and help. He has to come in and help and solve problems for her, but it always ends up okay. So she sort of comes out the same person all the time, which is fun. If you've been watching the show, you already know about some of the crazy villains that you'll see. And somebody asked about some of the villains we will see on the show, and I love how Dan asked his daughter who her favorite was first. Check it out. Who's your favorite? My favorite? There's a there's a cat-themed villain. Uh, what's his name? Uh, copycat. Copycat. And he has this gun that shoots hairballs, <laughs> but how he reloads it, like... I was watching this video while I was, like, the video of it while I was doing the ADR, and he, it, like, he's, like, shooting, but then it starts making this, like, cat coughing sound. He's like, oh, it's it's empty. So he opens it, he pulls out a naked cat, puts it to the side, and then puts in, like, a, a hairy cat and starts shooting it again. That's probably my favorite. Yeah, that's very fun. I, I, I like all of them. We have a guy whose name is Big Baby, and he's just an infant. But, but it's like this. And it's a, it, it, it turns out it was a, a politician who kept losing to younger, taller candidates. So he decided to make himself young and tall. And he made himself too young and too tall. And, uh, and now he's running amok in the city. But he's like a 40-foot, you know, it's like imagine a King Kong was an was a, a an infant human in, a, in an enormous diaper. So that's very really good. How do you get inside the mind of a hamster and how do you bring a hamster to the story? Was there any research done? Somebody asked that. And then there was the tragic tale of the hamster that was. Well, we had a hamster. Had. We, we, emphasize on emphasis It passed on that. away a, a while ago. but I probably had something to do no, with this. No, you were, you, were, you were a good no, hamster. Just, no. she, she blames herself. It escaped so many times. Yes. I don't know how it was alive when I got it. I back. don't know how it escaped. We would like no, really it, it, make it sure. No, it the bars and then we got a new cage and it stopped escaping. Yeah. But it kept getting out and one time it, it just got out and it went into the kitchen island because there's like a hole and then we set up like humane traps to get it back and then every time I put it back like I wake up the next morning it's gone like yeah, he was a, he was an escape artist that was his superpower his name was snaps because my sister's hamster was called ginger so it was like ginger snaps okay. like the cookie so since nobody had asked yet I decided to ask Melissa you know what's it like when you know how does Gretel feel when her hamster suddenly gets Superpowers, what's the reaction to that? So, when your hamster that you had as a pet ends up getting superpowers, what is that like for her? What is that initial reaction of, is this really happening? Because I'm sure they, you know, people that have had pets before, they've loved, like, wouldn't it be cool if they could talk and all this? I had to have thought of that at some point. She, like, in the show, she's pretty chill with it. Like, it happens and she's more focused on, like, oh my god, I just got superpowers. But when she finds out that he can talk, she she does get like you can talk and then he has this whole personality like he watches telenovelas and he, there's there's this, a lot of things we find out about like you know because he's nocturnal we yeah. find out he has this whole other life going on at night my hamster had a whole night life going on yes exactly like one time her, her hamster got out and then we didn't see it for two weeks 
How and, how was it alive? I don't and understand. We were like, 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 it, like it has to be have perished at this time because we aren't putting water out for it. You know, like 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 we put like food out to see if it would come in, and then the food wasn't going away. And then like two weeks later, we just saw it running across the like, and I went, and I got it. I was like, oh my god, I found steps. It was, it was all filming Curry and afraid for my two weeks. Yes. Next up, it was Michael Cimino and Liza Koshy, and rather than me tell you who they're playing and about their characters, well, they went ahead and did that themselves. So I'm Michael Cimino, and I'm playing Kevin. He wanted to be a superhero really bad, but now he's just basically just driving his sister around and trying to make sure that she's okay through all her superhero adventures. I'm Liza Koshy. I play Veronica Hill. She's a reporter, so method acting over here and studying you all for my next season. But yeah, Veronica Hill reports on the crime. If she's not, you know, if there's not a problem at hand, she will cause a problem herself. She has a lot of love problems specifically in her life. Sorry for the spoilers. Yeah, no, Veronica Hill is always on the scene uh, or ready to cause a scene if she needs to. But yeah, she reports on all the things that Hamster and Gretel go through. So, yeah. yeah. And Kevin. And sometimes Kevin. Yes, Kevin's there sometimes. What happens when you lose your superpower to a hamster? Yeah, you know I had to ask Michael about that. It's funny for you though because when you go into the room and you're preparing for the show, like, so, so listen, buddy, you're going to lose your powers to a hamster, sorry. <laughs> yeah. how, does that, how does that go? And is that, is that kind of cool for you though to kind of play that? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like this show is like more than like the being a superhero. It's like about like the family dynamic, right? And it's like about that. So like, you know, when we first, when I first got this job, like I spoke to Dan, like that was the thing that he really wanted to ring truth throughout this whole story. And, and I feel like that's been like the constant thing for me is like to make sure that it feels like a brother-sister duo and it's, it's supposed to help young kids bond. You know, that's like the whole point. So to me, that's like been like a thing that's like a constant for me. Since Liza is a reporter, oh, you got to be a little careful for that if you're a vigilante or you're a hero. So I asked her what her relationship was to the heroes in this story and her reporting. The reporter-superhero relationship can be a little bit of a rocky one sometimes. Because, you know, oh, yeah. are they going to report the positive side right. of the hero, the destruction that comes with that? So right, what right, is right. the relationship kind of to this new super dude? Yeah. You're diving deep here. Yeah, that was a good uh, question. Yeah, that was a good. really good question, actually. <laughs> you know what? She, I feel like she comes from the lens of herself. She's always putting herself into her work, whether or not Veronica does, whether or not she, like, wants to be in journalism, or she's like, I refuse to ever do the weather. I went to school for this. So she, like, owns where she's at. <laughs> so she also just, like, kind of projects onto the news a little bit, <laughs> coming from her own perspective. Like, she did date some of the villains that she is reporting on. <laughs> so she's a little messy queen, but we love her. <laughs> she definitely comes she from just likes the bad boy that's all that's she loves the bad boy she loves the bad boy but yeah she's trying to break out of that pattern yeah. so she's reporting on it so that her audience can hold her accountable yeah so, so she'll do, never do, do you like bad boys in real life job to, yeah. <laughs> so do you guys awful, job awful to weed out the baddies so she doesn't have to date them anymore you no know, literally I was just like I was like so do you, you so is this in jail yeah yeah just just for that just for that yeah art mimics life I have a problem in real life Next up for Michael and Liza, somebody asked, were they surprised by anything while they were working on the show? For me, I feel like it's like the amount of like freedom you have. Like Dan yeah. is not somebody that's like married to the words or anything like that. So it's like if you're, you're like, oh, I have this idea. Are you down to try this? And he likes it. He's like, yeah, I love that. Let's yeah. keep it. Like he, Dan impressions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, for real, like he's he's so collaborative, and like I feel like that's like what takes yeah. what makes a show really good is like the yeah. collaboration between artists, and he's great about yeah. that. Yeah, it all trickles from the top, and he's the best. Yeah, he's just the best. He really yeah. is. So a lot of times in voiceover, some of the actors will base their character voices on seeing the character. So I had to ask 
if either one of them got to see the character designs before voicing them. How, how early on in the process do you get to see the character designs? Does that kind of affect the way that you I mean, I feel like Kevin is just like a normal looking dude. So for me, it was like, yeah, just do like my normal voice for the most part. But yes. yeah. I thought it was based off of you for a second because you both have the little like flip bangs. The hair, yeah, yeah. it's the hair. I thought it was. I was like, wear a button down, commit to the bit today. Sure. I, I committed to the bit. I wore a blue no, suit. No, you did the bit. You did it. She's, yeah, she's made it up. Wore the blue suit just like Veronica does. I'm glad I didn't see Veronica. I think she's significantly cuter than I am. So it would have been intimidating had I known what she looked like before I played her voice. But no, he just let me like have inflection in my voice like crazy because I'm a reporter who takes her job so seriously. So I'm just like, reporting live. Like, it's like sing-songy almost, so it's fine. He encouraged that, yeah, yeah. So somebody asked how long it takes Kevin to get over the fact that a hamster got superpowers instead of him, and I really loved his answer. You know, I don't feel like he ever gets over it, to be honest with you. It's like one of those things where he's always a little salty about it. I think it, it deep down... Kevin really still wants to have superpowers and really wants to be a superhero. That's like also I feel like why he's like so involved in everything because that's like what he wants to do is too. So yeah. So we heard Dan and Melissa talk about the villains earlier, but what do Michael and Eliza think about some of the villains that are going to be on the show? They kind of gave a little bit of a different answer. I'd say that every villain is like unique and, and like it has like a weird different kind of power and different kind of like storyline i would say it's not like a formulaic show where it's like every character falls into like a certain kind of archetype every character is very different and and i feel like that's like really refreshing to see especially in a kid show i feel like sometimes kid show could, could fall in like to this like formulaic type of thing and the show is so not that Big Baby is the name of a character. Uh, <laughs> spoiler comes. <laughs> we talked about it earlier. Dan talked about it, so I'm like, okay, this is the coupon. It's okay. Big Baby was one of the villains that I dated. Veronica dated. Not myself, but uh, I would. <laughs> but Veronica and Big Baby dated, and so there's a whole like little like scene between them and like a blast from the past moment. Yeah, that was actually voiced by Brock. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who's yeah. an amazing like. OG Kool-Aid man also. Had yeah, a I also just found out went to the same high school that I did in Vegas. Yes. We're both from Vegas. Really? Yes. Just found that out. Yeah. yeah. So weird. I know. We're bonding. We're bonding as a cast. So. Yeah. It's Season crazy. Two. Season two. <laughs> <laughs> Disney, please. Disney, please. I just couldn't let it go. So finally for Michael and Eliza, you know, these villains, they're going to have powers, right? What are those going to be like? Some of these villains are going to actually have powers. So would you say that the powers for these villains are maybe a bit different than some of the stuff that we've seen in other shows? Because a lot of times you see the same kinds of powers. So there's like characters that are like supposed to be like directly the opposite of like Hamster and Gretel. So they have the same powers, but just like different set of morals, right? But then there's like also a whole bunch of there's a lady that can speak to is it onions? Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a lady that can like speak to onions. Like there's like a whole bunch of weird wacky powers, and it's like it's so funny. It's yeah. so great. It comes from the mind of Dan. It's gonna be yeah, absurd, no, it's, wild, it's, and it's amazing. That, that, yeah. is, that is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously this was recorded before the premiere of Hamster Gretel, which was on August the 12th. By the way, the first five episodes are out right now as on Disney Channel. As a matter of fact, the show gonna be returning for more episodes. On September the 10th, we had we just had a few episodes drop earlier this week. Then going to come back now on September the 10th, and you've gotten to see how how funny this show can be, how unique this show can be. If you haven't watched it yet, and yeah, maybe the it, maybe you could feel some Phineas and Ferb vibes in this thing just because of of, of Dan and and he the fact that he created the show. 
But this is really one of those, you don't expect a superhero show like this. So that's one of the things that's really, really fun about it. And obviously, Cast is having a great time. I plan on checking this out with my kids at some point, Hamster and Gretel, on the Disney Channel. Thanks to the cast and the amazing creator of Hampshire and Gretel for joining me at Comic-Con and everybody at Disney for letting me be a part of that. And my fellow roundtable mates of the press, thank you so much for all the great questions. Up next, it's nerd news and the trailer that I've been waiting for and some changes coming to Superman and Lois. Just a couple things you can expect. I'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is David Hamilton from Supergirl. Hi, you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The Kent family is about to look a little bit different. It's time for nerd news. And according to Deadline, who was the first to break this story, that Jordan Elsass, who of course plays Jonathan Kent in Superman and Lois, will not be returning to the show for a third season, and the role will be recast. Now, I want to be really careful about how I proceed with this because there's some there there's a lot out there about why this has happened and the reasoning behind it and certain things. So I want to be really careful, especially since some of this has to do with Instagram posts that have since been deleted. And as of me recording this, there's no update from Elsass himself. So apparently there had been some posts by him on Instagram about struggling with mental health issues. And this is apparently him stepping aside for personal reasons. And then Variety goes on to report that this has nothing to do with with problems with anybody in the workplace or anything like that. So again, these are reports. Some of this stuff is based on deleted Instagram posts that I didn't personally see. So that I just wanted to let you know what's out there. I'm not saying any of this is true or any of this is factual until we hear from Jordan Elsass himself. So very, very careful to make sure I give you that point. Now, the show does begin filming its third season in September. So yes, this is... Certainly last minute. And he did inform production that he would not be returning to the set. So it's not like he just didn't show up for work. He actually informed them that he wouldn't be coming back. A little late in the game, sure. But let's say we are talking about mental health issues here. Let's say that he is dealing with something. Or just, you know, the anxiety of having to go back into that situation for whatever reason. He just decided it was too much. And and instead of... You know, you could look at this a couple of different ways. You could look at this as, you know, he could have told them earlier. But again, when you're talking about mental health, there's no real good time. You know, your brain doesn't decide to tell you, okay, you need to make sure you figure this out a month ahead of this because, you know, you want to to be fair. Obviously, I think he wants to be fair. I don't think he's doing this in a way that's, that's really trying to hurt the production. I really don't. You, you could, I understand how it might, the perception might be that way, but if the, let's say it was an, ang- his anxiety just ramped up at the thought of going back to work and, and it just was decided it was too much for him. So would you rather he- have him report to the job, try to do this and then decide that, it, that he couldn't do it and then put them in a worse bind than they would be otherwise? I actually kind of commend him for doing it now, even if it is later in the game. I, I kind of commend him for doing it now so they have a chance to recast the role. And I, I don't know how vital Jonathan Kent's story was going to be in the first few episodes of this season. I know that we had the new Fortress of Solitude that was, you know, welcoming for the entire family sort of thing that happened in the season two finale. And that looked like it was going to be a big step for Jonathan. Does that mean that Jonathan's vital to the first few episodes of this show? I don't know that. I don't know. I don't think any of us can know. The only people that know that 
are the people that are involved in the production. So do they necessarily have to recast and rush somebody into this role right away? I don't think so. I really don't. You could have him not be a part of the story on screen for a few episodes if you had to. Now, I'm sure they would rather not have to go that route, but you could do that if you had to. And is it going to be awkward for viewers? Sure, it's going to be a little bit awkward, but it's not like this is the first time something like this has happened ever. I mean, think about Back to the Future 2. I mean, that was a huge recasting for that second movie from Claudia Wells to Elizabeth Shue, but, you know, you kind of you kind of figured it out and, made, and, and got used to it, and that didn't tarnish those movies at all. I don't think now movies, TV series may be a little bit different. Maybe it's a little bit different in this day and age as well. But uh, this is not something that's going to derail the show, I don't think. And that's not to belittle the Jonathan Kent character at all or Jordan Elsass, who I thought did a fantastic job in two seasons in the role. I thought he brought a lot to the table, especially in season two. And if this is for mental health reasons, I hope that he gets the help that he needs and he's able to continue whatever life he chooses, whether that be one on the screen or not. I hope that he just gets to a place where he's okay if that, in fact, is what's happening here. Now, if there's more to this story that ends up coming out after the fact and the story changes, I'll be sure to update update it for you. But until then, this is what I'm going to roll with. This is what's out there. And again, I'm not saying anything is definitive or anything like that. But that's my two cents on what's happening there. So, of course, the CW has also been sold, well, the majority of it, to Nexstar. And that's another story for another day. I want to wait until that kind of the dust settles on that and find out what's going to happen there before I talk about that and find out what their plan is. And they're, they're saying the average viewer of the CW is 58. I think that's an interesting little development. And again, I want to wait for that dust to settle on that. I really want to make sure that, that everything's kind of come out on that before I really dig, dig into that story. There are some big trailers to talk about, starting with Wednesday. The Addams Family series finally drops its trailer. The show is going to be premiering on Netflix this fall. Still don't have a premiere date for it. But what we finally get is this trailer. And I think it was hilarious that they even tried to put Wednesday Addams in public school. And Pugsley, for that matter. So you kind of see, you know, Wednesday's struggling in these schools for, I don't want to say obvious reasons, right? Because being different isn't isn't a bad thing, but Adam's family different is very, very different. If, if you catch my drift. So you see it like the piranhas in the pool. I loved that. That was a nice touch. It really kicks Wednesday up a notch too. You see this stuff in Adam's family movies and, and things like that b- before this takes it to a little bit of another level, I think, but you know, she's older. So things are going to be a little bit of another level. And I like that. She's sticking up for her brother too, by the way. And then you see, you know, her parents decide to take her to Nevermore Academy and be with people that, you know, would understand her a little bit better. And you you get to kind of see that a little bit. And I love how the bouncy blonde comes up and says, you know, <laughs> you you want to take a stab at, at being friendly. And she's like, well, I like stabbing. I, I Jenna Ortega is going to be fantastic as Wednesday Adams. I think that's something that we learned for sure in this trailer. Now, how the whole murder mystery thing factors into this, we don't get to see a ton of that in the trail. In this first trailer, I think this teaser was more to set the tone of what the character's going to be like, what the tone of the show's going to be, and things like that. And we get a lot of really quick images, too, uh, of, of various things. So I don't think it's, it's, in, it's easy to grasp exactly what the storyline's going to be for this thing, other than you know her going to this new place and trying to figure some things out. 
Now, anybody that's upset about the Gomez Adams casting needs to look at the comics and needs to look at the recent movies, by the way. And not that these two things are tied together at all, because they're not, but the recent animated movies should have shown you that you're going to start getting a more comics-accurate version of Gomez Adams. And by the way, yeah, there there were comics. By the way, there were there were con. There, this was this was a story that existed in a different medium beforehand than you knew. So just keep that in mind if you're upset about this really quickly. So Wednesday, of course, coming to Netflix this fall. Hopefully, we'll get a release date update here pretty soon. We also have Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, the anthology series, which will begin on October the 25th, and then Netflix is going to release two episodes each up until, the, I believe, the 28th, uh, and is great lead-up to Halloween, too, by the way. And, of course, this is a horror anthology series, and in the, ter- in the new trailer that they put out, you know, you get a nice little montage of what a lot of these episodes are going to be, but then you also have Guillermo del Toro, who's going to be the narrator for this, talking about how they gave the freedom to the director's to tell their stories and there's going to be a little bit of different flavors for each one. And then I think one of the really cool things that they did with this trailer was showing off the practical effects of what the monsters are going to be look like, look like and things like that. That is a different care in detail that I think is really, really important coming up for this series and to spend that extra money on practical effects and time, by the way, to spend that extra time to give this, a chance to have these looks as authentic as possible and really create the vibe on the set, not in post on the set. I just feel like it gives you a different outcome when you're able to bring something like to that to the set than if you do it in CG. And I think stranger things is a perfect example with Vecna. The fact that they were able to do that on set had so much more of an impact. I think than it would have if Vecna would have been CG after the fact. And again, Actors that they bring to the table for stuff like this, there's a lot of great actors that are involved in these projects. Cabinet of Curiosity, certainly. You go to downandnerdypodcast.com. I have the complete cast list up there for this and everything. And boy, there's some great names on the on the cast and the directors too, by the way. And, but at the same time, being able to feel this and see it in the moment is to me so, so important. And I'm glad that they got a chance to do that. And some of these practical effects, even the little bit that we saw in this trailer, looked insane with some of these monsters. And they, again, we just got quick glimpses of this. So, yeah, when this thing rolls out on October the 25th, I think this is going to be big time. I think that there's going to be something for every little bit of horror fan, whatever kind of wherever you fall into that category. I think you're going to find something that you really like starting October the 25th. On Netflix, really quickly, this is a show that kind of caught my eye. That that was a trailer dropped this week, and that's Last Light from Peacock and Matthew Fox. This is return to TV, by the way, for the first time since I believe since Lost. It's been a while since we've seen Matthew Fox in TV or in anything. As a matter of fact, this is going to be a five-episode series. It's going to drop on September the eighth, and kind of the wor- it's, there's a problem with the world's oil oil supply. And we're kind of in Europe, and you're starting to see rolling blackouts and things like that. And, of course, that leads to mass panic and blah, blah, blah. So what's going on with this oil? Well, Andy Yeats, who's played by Matthew Fox, is a petrochemist. So there's something that's that's wrong in the formula, formulation of this oil. And he has a theory, and that's kind of where everything 
goes downhill for him and his family. He has to actually leave his family when his son's about to have surgery, which sucks big time. And that might, you know, that that that's the one thing that worries me is because you, you have to have a likability for certain characters. It worries me that that's the stage that they're setting for this character in the early going. Because as a dad, that bothers me a lot. And I think a lot of, you know, people with children are going to watch this. If you don't have kids and you're upset about what I just said, I don't like to be that person that says, when you have kids, you'll understand. But, but trust me, it, that's a tough sell for anybody with kids. Even if it's something hugely important. And, and is it hugely important in that moment? We'll find out when we actually watch the show. But what's going to be interesting about this is how deep of a dive they do into the science of what's going on here and how much they explain it. That's going to be really, really important too. But there's also a thriller aspect of this too, because this family is kind of split all over Europe. You've, you've got them in very, very different places, but this is not just a London thing either. This is something that's happening across Europe and, and in the Middle East as well. So there's a lot of real estate to cover here. And it's not just Matthew Fox. We have Joanna Fogat, who's, Fogat who's a part of this. As well, Alice Ross, Taylor Faye, Amber Rose, Reva. I forgot to mention, by the way, this is all based on the novel from Alex Scarrows. So if you've read the novel, you kind of know what's going on here. But it just there's something very, very interesting about this story. And I, I think that this is something that could surprise a lot of people and be really good. So Last Light, first season, going to be streaming on Peacock. All five episodes drop on September the 8th. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests, as always, this week. Also, make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. I appreciate you subscribing to the show. It makes it easy to not miss an episode because, you know, obviously you're here for a reason, I would like to think. So thanks for sticking around for that. I know that some of you like to listen on downandnerdypodcast.com as well. Got timestamps up there for you to kind of help you get to the segment that you want a little bit faster. Make sure you're following on social media as well at down and nerdy seven five seven on Twitter and on Instagram at down and nerdy on Facebook and now on TikTok at down and nerdy pod. If you want to follow me on there for some new stuff coming there as well. And again, just thank you so much for your support throughout these weeks. I really, really appreciate it. And like I always say, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Anna Sheridan, New York Times best-selling author of Supernatural Horror, missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I turn to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation, or any other. I need you to find me. Of course. What else would it be? The Shared Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.